The text for this morning's service is from Galatians 5, verse 22. And then we take the second word of the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is joy. After the sermon, we will sing together from hymn 54, the stanzas 1, 3, and 5. Beloved congregation of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. Paul tells us in this letter to the Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit is, among other things, joy. Having been anointed with the Holy Spirit, Paul reminds us that we have certain characteristics that are unique to Christians. We have characteristics that only a Christian has and that an unbeliever does not have. In the first place, only a Christian knows how to truly experience and express true love. That's what Paul mentions first. Now in the second place, and that is what we are looking at this morning, also only a Christian knows how to express true joy and how to experience it. Perhaps you are surprised to hear this, for that does not always appear to be the case, does it? And there are lots of people who call themselves Christians, and perhaps you are one of them, who are not often very joyful. Much of the time they feel somewhat depressed. They wake up every morning feeling down. Some people are often grumpy and difficult to live with. There are lots of things going on in their lives that rob them of their joy. They don't feel good about themselves or about the world they live in. As far as they are concerned, there is not all that much to be joyful about. And yet, brothers and sisters, Paul tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is joy. In other words, joy is one of the things that characterizes you as a Christian. What exactly does that mean? Am I a bad Christian when I'm not joyful all the time? Does a Christian always have to be joyous, happy? What kind of joy is Paul talking about? That's what we will deal with this morning as we listen to the preaching of God's word. The theme is as follows. Live the joyful life of a sanctified Christian. And then we will look at two things. First of all, that we must experience the joy of earthly life. And secondly, that we must experience the joy of eternal life. Live the joyful life of a sanctified Christian. First of all, you must experience the joy of an earthly life. And in the second place, you must experience the joy of an eternal life. The Lord God created us to be joyful creatures. Just watch a baby. Once they're fed and clean, they are constantly full of joy. They coo and they smile and they make joyful noises. Why are they such joyful creatures? Well, they're joyful because of the love that they feel. They experience the wonderful relationship with their mother and also with other people with whom they come into contact. A baby doesn't have a care in the world. A baby doesn't know what it is to worry. A baby doesn't worry about food or drink or clothing. It doesn't worry either about what it looks like. 
And it doesn't worry what other people think of him or her either. A baby has no fear and no anxieties. A baby is a bundle of joy. And so they're different from you and from me. Because of sin, joy is often drained from our lives. We worry about what other people think of us. We worry about our relationships, about money, about our health, and about the silliest of things. We worry about things that other people do and really which do not affect us. It's hard for us as sinful people to be truly joyful. Now, this is, of course, true especially of an unbeliever. And that's what the Galatians, to whom Paul writes originally, were when he first met them. It wasn't Paul's intent to go to this province of Galatia. As we know from chapter 4, verse 13, he stayed with the Galatians because he became ill on his way elsewhere. While he was recuperating from his illness, the Holy Spirit led things in such a way that he could preach the gospel to them. He stayed there for quite some time, and these people looked after him in a most wonderful way, and he describes that also in this letter. And so what a wonderful blessing they were to him, but also what a wonderful blessing he was to them, for he preached the gospel to them. Paul came to them with the good news of salvation. Before that, they were enslaved by their many fears and anxieties. They practiced all kinds of false man-made religions which preyed upon their insecurities. And they believed that there were gods out there who controlled their destiny and who needed to be catered to through all kinds of rituals and rules and sacrifices. For if you offended the gods, then you would become ill or your crop would fail or a severe hailstorm or something like that would come or harm would come to you in some other way. The gospel that Paul came with was totally different. Paul taught them about the true God, the only God, about the God of love, about a God whom you did not have to appease or placate, about a God who loves you just the way you are, about a God who does not squeeze the very last ounce out of you, about a God who does not make you cringe or squirm, but a God who welcomes you with open arms as long as you believe in him and as long as you acknowledge him as the almighty creator and as long as you want to glorify his name in that way. He taught them not to be anxious about this life or the life to come. Through faith, no matter what happens here on earth, says Paul, you can be assured in all circumstances that you are a child of God. So that's what he taught the Galatians. And they listened, they embraced that gospel, that gospel of salvation through no grace. But then what happened? Something awful happened. After Paul left, false prophets came into the midst. And these people were jealous of Paul. 
They did not like the influence that he had on them. They wanted that kind of relationship. And they were instruments of the devil and made personally and made personal attacks against Paul. And they said about him that he wasn't really a true apostle and that he did not come with a complete gospel of salvation either. They said there's a lot more to it, but Paul tells you. Now you can imagine that such talk caused Paul grief because what was happening there in Galatia also came back to him. Paul cared a lot about these people. They had shown great love to him when he first came to them, taking care of him during his illness, taking care of him as if he were one of their own. But now here you have these false prophets, enemies of the gospel, who now rob these people of the newfound joy that Paul gave them. It didn't matter so much to Paul that they tried to tell the Galatians that he wasn't a true apostle. Paul wasn't interested in his own honor. As a preacher, he knew that the opinions of men ultimately do not matter. But do you know why he was so upset? He was upset because these false prophets wanted the people to go back to their former way of life. Oh sure, the false prophets also came with teachings about Christ. But they treated him like one of the gods of the heathens. They said that you must... That you must serve the God of the Christians by rules and regulations. For example, they said that circumcision was necessary for salvation. And they also said that you still have to keep the Old Testament feasts in order to be saved. And they taught that you can have a relationship with God through the rules that you keep. So it is through works. And what does Paul now say to them? Well, he says in Galatians 4 verse 15, What has happened to all your, and here's the word, to all your joy. And in verse 17, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. He says, it's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good. Now, what was the purpose of those false prophets? To earn a place with God. To earn God's favor through their good works. And now you are right there, right back to slavery. Now you're right back to your feelings of insecurity. For when have you done enough for God? When do you have enough faith? You can't earn a spot with God through your own works. Brothers and sisters, and that includes you boys and girls, please please listen carefully to this. For that's also what we tend to want to do, isn't it? We don't feel joyful because there are a lot of things that are wrong in our lives. We have a lot of anxieties. We don't live our lives as we are supposed to do. We know that we don't work hard enough or that we don't love our children or our parents or our friends or our brothers and sisters in the Lord enough. 
We eat too much and we drink too much and we are enslaved to all kinds of things and bad habits. We have too many dark thoughts. And therefore we think that somehow we have blown it with God. How can you love a person like me? And so there's not always joy in our lives. We think that we have to have a better relationship with God. And the better to do that is through good works. And then we try to appease God by praying more, by keeping his commandments better, and by trying to be a better person overall. But somehow it doesn't cut it. Somehow we can't live up to what we are supposed to be. Well, if that is how you are trying to restore joy into your life, and then you had better stop it. That's not going to give you joy. Do you know what joy is all about? Joy has to do with relationships in which you serve each other out of love and not out of compulsion. Of course you have to live right. And you have to do the right things. But not in order to establish a relationship with God. You already have that. That is the joy in your life. Some people equate joy with happiness. Well, don't confuse those two. Those two are two different things. When we speak about happiness, and then we speak about feelings that are created because of things that happen to us. And so happiness is not something you feel all the time. You wake, happy up, you wake up happy in the morning, but it doesn't mean that you feel happy the rest of the day. Joy is different. The Bible mentions joy or the verb rejoicing 330 times. And it mentions happiness only 26 times. Do you know why joy is mentioned so many times? Because joy has to do with the covenant relationship that exists between God and us. Joy is an indicator of that relationship. And joy is not an enthusiastic state that you have to work yourself into. Joy does not depend on the circumstances. It doesn't depend on the good works. And it doesn't depend on your possessions either. If you think that cars, money, position, a beautiful house, or power will make you happy, and then you are grossly misled. The Apostle John says in chapter 15, verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. What had the Lord Jesus just told them so that their joy would be complete? Well, he had told them about a wonderful relationship of love that exists between them and the Father. And that was his doing. The Lord Jesus had taken them from the hands of the devil and he had given them over to the Father. Those who once did not belong to the Father now do belong to him. For he has grafted them into the vine. And now they may belong to their Father in heaven. 
And because they belong to their Father in heaven, they can and also will bear fruit. Oh sure, there are lots of things wrong with them. And there are lots of things wrong with us. But don't let that rob you of the joy that you have because of your relationship with your Father in heaven. For as long as you remain in the vine through faith, you will never be separate from your Father in heaven. And you have that relationship with your Father in heaven not because of anything that you do, not because of any rules that you keep, but only because of the love of God. The rules and regulations and the worship that we have to do are nothing more than showing thankfulness to God. Our salvation, thankfully, does not depend on it. And so, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, if you are trying to earn your joy by making yourself part of the vine, then you will never be joyful. For it is impossible to receive joy in that way. The Psalms, we, in the Psalms we read about that kind of joy as well. David says in Psalm 16 verse 11, You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And David speaks here about the joy. He speaks here about the eternal pleasures at God's right hand. A believer has joy, beloved, because through faith he has taken hold of eternity. And that brings us to the second point. In John 15, we find a perfect example of joy. It is the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's see what we can learn from it. The words of the Lord Jesus in John 15 were spoken by him just before his crucifixion. It was the night before. He knows what's going to happen. Soon he's going to be arrested and tried and convicted of crimes that he did not commit. And soon he knows they will be ridiculing him. And they will put a crown of thorns on his head and they will mockingly call him king of the Jews. And they will slap his face and they will spit upon him and they will whip him and then they will nail his body to a cross where he will die a horrible death. It will be a horrible death not because of the physical pain so much but because of the fact that he will be abandoned there not only by men but also by God. Not a joyful prospect, is it? But now listen to what he says in John 15, verse 11. Very important what he says here. I have told you this, that my joy in you may be, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. On the last night of his life, facing the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ speaks about joy and the next day he goes to the cross and dies for us the author of the letter to the Hebrews looks back at that and writes these words in Hebrews 12 verse 2 
Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why do you think the scriptures speak of the joy of the cross? Why does the Lord Jesus find it a joy to suffer as he did? Because he was about to restore the relationship between God and man. He is the great mediator of the covenant. Because of what he is about to do, everyone who believes in him will be in an eternal relationship of love with him. Because of what he is about to do on the cross, man will again be able to live a life to the glory of God. The Lord Jesus understood that there is no true joy without God. And by his great sacrifice, he shows the way of joy to us. The cross was the most unselfish thing you could ever think of. The Lord Jesus did not just give his life. He gave his life for his enemies so that they could be restored to the right relationship to God. He shows the great joy that there is in establishing and maintaining relationships. Do you want to have a joyful life, brothers and sisters, boys and girls? Then think about the relationships that you are in. Do you want to spread joy? And then establish relationships with brothers and sisters in the Lord, with your children, with your loved ones, and maintain them. Do away with anything that breaks down those relationships. If there is enmity, if there is jealousy, if there is anger, if there is resentment in any of your relationships, be done with it. Restore joy in your life. Do you want to be joyful? Then don't be anxious about things. Take thought of the fact that the Lord Jesus provides you with everything that you need and that he has restored your relationship with your Father in heaven. For do you know what breaks down relationships? Well, Paul speaks about that in the verses just prior to the text. He speaks there about those who are sexually immoral and impure. He speaks about those who are full of hate Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, drunkenness, and the like. When you conduct yourself in accordance with those qualities, then you break down relationship. First of all, your relationship with God. And in the second place, your relationship with your neighbor, with your loved ones with your husband, with your wife, with your brothers and sisters in the Lord, with your parents. Christ came to restore relationships, to restore joy. And that's why we have to remain in the vine. 
How do you maintain your relationship with God? We could sing about that this morning after the reading of the law. The precepts of the Lord, which are his perfect word, with joy our hearts do brighten. Joy is found in keeping God's laws. That's how you maintain joy in relationships. But once again, don't think that that's how you establish joy. That's what the Lord Jesus has done. He kept the law for us. He not only conducted himself without ever sinning, but he also took the penalty of the law upon himself. We keep the law because of the joy we feel that the Lord Jesus Christ has established for us. And now you can also see that you can be joyful even in miserable circumstances. For a Christian knows that no matter what happens, nothing can separate him from the love of God. Even in death, he will remain a child of God. And that is why we have an eternal joy, an eternal joy that begins already in this life. We have hope. Brothers and sisters, the scriptures teach us that there is a joy even in suffering. Listen to the words that the Lord Jesus spoke at the very beginning of his ministry in the Sermon of the Mount. He says in Matthew 5, verse 11 and 12, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And that is why Christ says to the seventy whom he sent out into the world that they should not be joyous because the demons are subject to the name of Jesus, but that they should rejoice because their name is written in heaven. And further, Paul also reminds the believer that there is joy in suffering because suffering produces character and steadfastness. The great thing about our Christian faith is that the grief we so often have to experience in our life is turned into and overcome by joy in the Holy Spirit. In his farewell address, the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. When you believe in the Lord Jesus, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, then no one can take away your joy. No matter what happens. The reason that the Lord Jesus could endure the cross is because he knew that after the cross would come the resurrection. And resurrection refers to the renewal of life. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 and following, Therefore we do not lose heart, though inwardly we are wasting away yet, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. 
for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The form for the baptism of infants says that life is nothing nothing more than a constant death. Well, brothers and sisters, take a close look in the mirror. You'll see scars, you'll see wrinkles, you'll see deterioration. It's a reminder that you're going to die sooner or later. Also take a close look at your material possessions. Look at your stock portfolio. Look at everything that you've got. None of that is going to last. And if they do last to the end of your life, then somebody else is going to take them over. Here on earth, everything is temporary. Nothing here on earth is going to last. However, the scriptures teach us that because of the Holy Spirit, we are being renewed every day. Isn't that wonderful? This whole earth, everything in it is going to pass away, but we are being renewed. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing right now through the preaching. The Holy Spirit gives you a vision of eternity. And so don't look at what you have here on this earth. Don't look at the things you can see, but look at the things you can't see. Look at the things that the Holy Spirit gives you and find joy in those things. Because those things last forever. What brings joy to your earthly life? Let me tell you what some of my greatest joys here on earth are. To be together with those I love, with my children and grandchildren. And especially to be with my wife. When she's gone, I can't wait to be reunited with her. Well, if that's the way it is in our earthly relationships, how do you think it is with God? His greatest joy is to have all his loved ones around him forever. There is no greater joy for him. Can you imagine that? That is what he has in store for you and for me, for us sinners. That's what he is preparing you for now. What a joy to have a relationship with such a wonderful God. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. When there is joy in life, true heavenly joy, then God's Holy Spirit is at work in you. Let him continue to work in you, brothers and sisters, and you will be joyful. Not just in this life, but into eternity. Amen.